Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke 14. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament that starts with Genesis and a New Testament starts with Matthew. Luke is in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. You say, what's the difference? Well, in its simplest forms, the New Testament is from when Jesus, from from the ministry of Jesus on, from what he did. There's more to it than that, and I, I get that. And so the Old Testament is before that time. So but just if you're still learning around the Bible, let's start there, okay? And so Luke was the guy that was a doctor. He was not, he was, the, there are four books called Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke was the only one that wasn't Jewish that wrote that. He was actually a Gentile. He wrote it specifically for a guy named Theophilus. He interviewed a bunch of people that were eyewitnesses. And so this is pretty powerful. Now we're going to read a lot of scripture today, but since we're in church, I thought that would be okay. And so Luke 14, verse 25 says this. It says a large crowd was following Jesus. Now think about that. At this point, they were just they were identified as a crowd. They were a crowd. They, you know, there was a mixture of believers, disciples, kind of seekers, kind of wondering what was going on, and, and that kind of thing. But all together they were a crowd. And so he's speaking to this crowd of people. He says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, in other words, that was a decision, a choice you get to make. If you want to be my disciple, that says, um, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Now, again, keep that in mind, by comparison. You know, he talks about this. He said, you must, in comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. And so, in other words, what he was saying was, he wasn't saying you got to hate people. I know for some people that may disappoint you, but no, it's not okay if you hate people. But, but what he was saying is that in comparison, in other words, that not, none of these other relationships can mean more to you than him. And so he goes on to say this, he said, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross. So again, we hear these terms. If you were raised in church, this is a familiar passage. If you weren't, it may not be, but, but for any of us, I don't think culturally we probably get it like they did because the cross was a place, especially for somebody that wasn't a Roman, that it was a place that you didn't, you know, that you didn't embrace. It wasn't something that you ran to. Matter of fact, the cross was a place where public execution took place. People lost their lives there. And it was where the state of Rome, the nation of Rome, where they did, they put, they, they crucified or executed the worst of their worst. It was a public thing. It was humiliating besides being painful and torturous. And so when Jesus said, hey, look, you, if you're going to follow me, there's a cross you have to carry. But that wasn't seen as a place of pleasantries, but it was a place of sacrifice, a place where your life was lost. And it was publicly seen. So he said, that's what disciples do. They, they pick up their own cross. There's a losing of their own life. And he went on to say, um, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But but don't begin until you count the cost. Everybody say, count the cost. For, he, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Now listen, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. 
without giving up everything you own. And so in other words, again, Jesus was talking to this crowd of followers, crowd of believers. And he's like, if you want to become a disciple, you know, it's kind of like this person that's engaged, committed and that type of thing, that there's this surrender that takes place. And he said, it's, it's an intentional surrender that you're, you're aware of what you're giving up, that it's, that it's just this intentional thing. It's sit down and count the cost. Do I really want to do this? Am I really willing to do this? That it's, it's, not, a, it's not something that's done without a recognition of, of what that means. And so to follow him means that there's this surrender that takes place. If you're taking notes, I put number one is this, is that surrender is intentional. It's purposeful. You know, uh, you know it, that when we talk about giving our lives to Jesus, that, uh, you know, that we, we come and give our lives to him. But I, I think that, that there's not this recognition that, that at that moment that this surrender of my life takes place. And, and then I begin to walk with him and it's, it's his. It's, I, you know, I, I begin to turn loose of things. I mean, that's not, a comfortable, that's not a comfortable place for me to be with some things. How about you? Some things I want to hang on to. But, but it's an intentional thing. I'm, a, I'm aware of what I'm giving up. You know, the, as I shared last week, that this past Monday was our anniversary. Some, some of you, uh, a few of you did, did something for us. I'm, I'm, thank you for those of you that were able to do that. If you didn't know anything about it, it's okay. It's not a big deal. But I want to say thank you. But, but I, it, I got very reflective because on my and Tina's first anniversary, we were living in a little house in Broken Arrow, and um, uh, my parents lived in the Vertigris area. And you know, I was—I had a job at a ministry, and just uh, you know, life—you know—it was—it was—it was good. We didn't have a lot, but it was good. We had people around us and that type of thing. And this opportunity came up for us to go on staff at a church in Earl, Arkansas, little bitty community right outside of West Memphis. And so um, I remember that we we took the, the position and the opportunity and. And we loaded up uh, our U-Haul truck on our anniversary. Tina had already taken off. She was going to meet me there. And my parents came over, and they were loading up with us. And so I remember that day just kind of loading up and putting all that stuff in the truck. And, and, and I took off. And that day, I remember that we left. We left, we left everything that, you know, that we were familiar with. It was you know, it was just this leaving. I mean, we were going to a place where we had no family. We had no friends. It was, it was this, and, and we knew when we were going there. You know, and to be real transparent with I think even at the time, even though we recognize this is what's going to take place, that just over time, just the recognition of what that means. I mean, and so whenever we surrender, that it's, it's knowing. It's, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm laying this down. I'm, I'm giving this up. It's, Lord, it, it's yours. So number one, if you're taking notes, is that surrender is, it's intentional. It's, it's on purpose. Look, go to Genesis 22, if you would, with me. Genesis 22. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And in Genesis, there was a guy named Abram, and he was, he was following God. God was revealing, you know, what he wanted to do uh, through Abram, and it was going to impact all of humanity. And so, He's sharing these things with him, and he tells Abram that he and his wife Sarai are going to have a, a baby, and they're both older at that time. And, and so as time went on, you know, sometimes he went through seasons of discouragement. Is it ever going to happen? And that type of thing. Well, eventually, when he's 100 and she's 90, 
Then he, they have a baby, and uh, by this time, God has changed her name from Abram to Abraham and Sarah to Sarah. And Abraham meant father of many nations. And so they had this little baby man, and it was an answer to their prayers. Something they prayed for for years, that God granted that to them. So in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Now, I think it's interesting that whenever God wants to test our faith, one of the ways that he tests us is through surrender, is through ownership. Like, whose is this? And so he goes on to say, Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Everybody say, love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So he didn't just talk to him just about anything. He talked to him about this. This. You know, there's a story, an account in the book of Mark about a guy that's called the rich young ruler. And when Jesus talked to him, he said, he, the guy came to Jesus and he said, look, he said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and he said, we just lack one thing. And I've often thought that was kind of interesting because I'm not sure the Lord would say that to me. He might look at me and go, hey, you just lack 17 things. You know what I mean? It's kind of how I feel he would say that. But the truth of the matter is probably for most of us, it's not a lot of things, right? It's like, it's like one or two things that really kind of get in the way, but it's manifested in so many areas of our life, but it's really this one thing. And so he wasn't talking about everything. He was just talking to him about his son, Isaac, the thing that his heart had ached for and longed for for the longest time. Why does the Lord do that? Why does he come and want the one thing that like, Lord, you can have any of this, but I, I kind of I I like this. I want this. Let's keep, keep reading and see what happens. So it says this, he said, when they, uh, go down to verse uh, 9. It says, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. Now listen. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld. Everybody say withheld. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, or we would say Jehovah Jireh nowadays, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you've obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. So it says that he wanted to test Abram or Abraham. And the way that he tested him was, was to, see, to realize what was, what was his? I think it's so wild. So many times the things in our life that we matter most, they're really just demonstrations of God's faithfulness. Things that we've prayed for. Things that we've asked for. Things that there's been like an ache in our heart over. And as time goes on, you know, at times, 
maybe it would feel like that was never going to happen like that. We were never going to experience that. And then sometimes even like in his case, when the calendar said it was too late or people said we've waited too long, that God in his faithfulness shows us that he's greater than the calendar or greater than other people's opinions. And he shows up and he answers our prayer. And then as time goes along, it's just every time we see that, that thing, that person, that situation, we're reminded of his goodness and that he can be trusted. And then someday he comes along and he asks us a question. But it's not like a direct question. It's our response really determines what we believe about it. And that is, whose is this? Yeah, if you're taking notes, number two is this, is that surrender is releasing control. Again, I, I want to see, see a move of God in my life, and so I begin to hunger for that. And, and then I begin to seek it, and then there are things that, as I begin to pray, that there are things that get in the way of, of, of God's, what he wants to do. And again, not, a, not that we have a relationship or anything like that, but there's just I can have an attitude that just, that's just in the way of, of doing what he's called me to do. Or I can have an area of unbelief or I just hold back instead of trusting him and, and moving forward. I, I, you know, I can have a, an a attitude of unforgiveness that I'm hanging on to that just causes me to, to withhold people or to keep them out of, our li- out of my life or anything like that. Or, or just an area of just control. It's just wild. I've said this before, but I feel like I go to the Lord sometimes, and it's like I've got all these things in my world, and I'm like, Lord, you can have anything you see, anything you see here. But it's almost like I've got this magic trick where I've got something behind my back where it's like, you can have anything you see. And he's like, what's behind you? You can have anything you see. I, I want that thing that you're hanging on to back there. And it's, it's that area that, that for whatever reason, I don't want to trust him with. I want to hang on to it. There, there's something that can almost be frightening to my flesh when I recognize that it's not mine. You know, um, when, when we first came here in 2006... Man, this has always been, it's always been my home. And I, we love New Mexico. It was good to us. And, you know, it's like a second home, but it's still, when we would come back for the holidays and I would visit my parents and my friends and things like that, that every time I was here, there was just like, it was like my home. And when we went back, that even though I loved it there, there was like an ache in my heart that, that really I was kind of, it was kind of a, I was a dislocated heart that I was, I was there, but my heart was here. And so I remember when we started the church that it was just one of those things that of just, um, you, you know, just there's kind of this satisfaction, but, but I had to turn loose of some security, some security there. And so we came here and, and we started, and I remember we meet in that little room over there, um, just this little space that we had. And, and, and so I, uh, you know, when we, we came in, I remember that I would, I would park my car um, kind of like towards the end of the parking lot. And somebody's like, oh, you're getting your steps in. Well, that would have been good, but that wasn't my reason. And so, um, but it was just, you know, twofold. One is, is that, I, you know, I, I wanted to just remind us that it's not about position or title. It's about serving. You know, it's what we do. You know, we, you know, so we, you know, we serve. And so, but then also it was really kind of one of those things that in my mind as I parked there, 
I was telling myself, you know, that as God moves and as he grows us and that type of thing, there'll be a day that this is where we'll have to park, that the parking lot will be so full that we have to park there. And so as time has went on, like if you go out there right now, that the parking lot's pretty close to full. In fact, we've had to start like parking a lot of our people in leadership and that type of thing many times behind the building to make space because on weekends that aren't fall break weekends, sometimes it's full. And so that's a good thing. But, but I'll just tell you this much, that what's wild is, is it used to when I would pull into the parking lot, that the building looked like something that you would see on a scene in Sanford and Son about you know, a junkyard. And, and so, and you know, almost looked like it was condemned. But now when you, when you pull in, it's, <laughs> now when you pull in, it's different. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's this place, you know, I was at a minister's luncheon the other day and they were talking about doing an event somewhere and they go, we should do it at your place, man. It's like one of the nicest facilities in town. I said, man, that's really kind. You know, nobody, nobody was saying that three years ago. And so, um, but I, you know, the challenge is, is that as God's blessing begins to become evident in your life and in the people's lives around you, that if we're not careful, sometimes the thinking transfers where I no longer view it as his, but I start seeing it as mine. Because to my security, it becomes dangerous to not control it. But to see God do what it is that he, he wants to do, I have to be able to release it. I have to be able to give him ownership. Isn't it wild that, that to experience the things that God wants to do in our life, that often it begins like with one of these conversations, like, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I need you to turn loose of it. And so many times you know, that surrender requires me to, to trust him. When my kids were little, one of them, I'd gotten a call from one of the teachers because she'd put together this study group and she said that, that one of the kids, uh, that one of my kids was in a study group and it looked like they were, were copying off of each other. And so I said, well, let, let's meet, you know, because uh, I want to talk to you about, about my kid, Daniel. And so as I... So in my mind, and I appreciate our teachers, man. We have, you know, I'm grateful for you guys. You guys have a job that I mean. It's just, it's really challenging. You're dealing with kids, you're dealing with parents, you're dealing with systems and all that kind of stuff. But in my mind, what, what I was thinking was, was if he's in a study group, then it doesn't surprise me that they would have similar answers. I mean, that's, that's what happens. So I had this elaborate plan that I was going to take down. I didn't tell Daniel about it ahead of time. I, want, I was trying to use it as an example for him to trust me. And so in my mind, I was going to go down there, and we were going to sit down, and it was going to be glorious. Have you ever had that as a parent where you're like, oh, hey, this is going to be awesome. And so what I was going to do is I was going to say, hey, did you guys, you know, did you get your answer with your bodies? And he was going to say yes. That's what he, in my plan, he was going to say yes. And so I was going to kind of look at the teacher and go, hey, I know you have a hard job and that kind of thing, but, but when they're in a study group, you know, I... I I want to encourage you. I think that's just bound to happen. I think that's kind of the intent of a study group. And, and in that, I was going to show him that he could trust me. That, you know, that I was so proud of him for telling the truth. And I trust him. And that, you know, and that he could trust me. And so, and it's just going to be this glorious moment right there. Just kind of this father-son moment with, you know, the teacher here. And she was going to grow as a result of it. He was going to grow. I was going to be celebrated. It was going to be incredible. And so... 
So, so we go down there to the school and, and we have our, you know, kind of a, you know, our niceties and that kind of thing. And, uh, and so I said, uh, you know, I showed him the work and I said, now your, your teacher said you guys are in a study group and that, and that you may have copied off of each other. Is that true? And when I waited for the resounding yes, he goes, no. I ain't counted on that. So now I'm having to scramble as to what do I do? Now I'm mad at him. You've messed up my moment. I was going to show you what a great father I am. I was going to reveal to you, you can trust me. I was going to help her grow as a teacher. You just like, your 10-year-old self has blown this thing to pieces. And so, and so I remember, now I'm mad at him. So I said, really? So you got this answer all on your own? Yeah. So I gave him the paper and I said, show me. Now I'm really irritated. And I mean, this guy for the next five, six, seven minutes is scribbling on that paper. You would have thought that he's trying to figure out Einstein's theory of relativity instead of if three X is six, what is X? And I mean, after several minutes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm madder as the moment goes on. I'm slightly embarrassed for him because he can't figure it out. And finally, I'm like, okay, let's stop the charade. You obviously don't know what you're doing. You did copy, didn't you? Yes. And I said, well, you've kind of blown up my plan because this is what I was going to do. And so he didn't get celebrated. He didn't learn he could trust me. When he got home, you can imagine what happened. And so, <laughs> so it was just one of those things, you know, where I'm just like, I was just so frustrated because he didn't trust me in that moment. I thought, man, how many times have I done that to God? Where I, I can't see what's on the other side of, of my trusting him, of my surrender. All I can see is, is what I'm letting go of. What I'm risking. What it's going to do to me. How it's, what areas I'm going to be exposed in as a result of that. And so, so many of these things we hang on to, man, they started in a place of insecurity Usually it's someplace where we were wounded and we told ourselves that'll never happen to me again and so we hang on to it. Or sometimes that thing that because we waited so long that, that the waiting was painful and then eventually beyond, you know, even, even past the point of where we almost feel like giving up, then all of a sudden God's faithfulness is demonstrated one more time in my life. But I don't want to wait again like that. So I refuse to let go. And I think about Abraham's life that what God was talking to him about, is the only reason why he had it was because of God's goodness and because of God's faithfulness. And that God wanted to test him and he was testing him in the area that he demonstrated his goodness to him. And I think about how that would have impacted Abraham's life, his world, if he'd been unwilling to surrender control. I'm grateful for the grace of God. I, I think he does do-overs. I think he gives us other chances, other moments. But I don't want to miss it. But sometimes, man, it's uncomfortable surrendering. It's uncomfortable turning loose of. Oh, Pastor Rick, I, 
I just want to get married. Are you willing to trust him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Because it may mean that you have to date differently than you are right now. It may mean that he's going to require you to live out a pure relationship as he reveals to you who he has for you. That requires surrender. You can't do it your way. It has to remind me that that this this, this isn't mine. You're, You're not mine. And so it puts you in a in a place that, you know, that, that control feels so secure, but it's not. And so surrender is a place where we release control. If you walk down here to the, like, to the pre-K and the nursery area, probably a word that you'll hear periodically is mine. Mine. And the truth of the matter is that we teach them as time goes on to use that word less. But isn't it wild that in our own walk, that a lot of times, it may not be a word we ever say, but in our behavior, it's a word that controls our response. Mine. And surrender says yours. Yours. One of my favorite people in the Bible is King David. And man, he, was, he had all these glorious moments, but he had a lot of stupid things too. And I really connect with those. And so he was, he, his son, uh, Absalom, had, was leading a rebellion against him. And you know, there's probably, I can't think of a betrayal that would feel greater than that. He's feeling this huge betrayal. This, you know, just, you know, that, that a parent can experience with a kid. It's just a huge thing. And I remember that, you know, it wasn't looking good in this rebellion. It looked like David was going to lose his place. And, you know, his advisors were all around him. And they're, you know, they're just trying to pump him up and just trying to get him, you know, to get him to, to engage this. But he said something I thought was so interesting and so revealing. And it's to the effect of this. He said, maybe God's done with me here. Or yeah, if, he, if this is still where he has me, then yes, by all means, I'll fight for it. But, but that's got to be the question I asked first is that, is he, am I still here? Is this, what, is this still for me? Is it still the place that he's put me? Because if it isn't, then I, I, I don't want to fight for it. It's, it's not mine. And so when we want to see God move in certain areas of our life, that, that sometimes it begins with this place of surrender, this, this place of trust. It's, it's this place of it's yours. And again, like, like I said, it may, it, may not be a, it may not be a thing. It could be an attitude. Or it could be a direction. Or, or the way you use a, a way that you're gifted. Or how you see your time or, or your finances. Or it, it could be, you know, forgiving people. It could be for learning to trust people again. Because you've been wounded so badly that you hang on to that thing. And and the only way it feels safe is to just not give anybody access. They get past the first door. They get into the courtyard. But they never never get, you know, into the center, into the place of my heart ever again. 
And yet God's like, but, but I have this for you. But the only way you're going to be able to experience that is to release that thing. God had this great plan for Abraham and his descendants. And when he wanted to test his faithfulness, when he wanted to test him, it was in an area of control of something that God had given him anyway. I was in youth camp several years ago, and well, yeah, many years ago, and, um, and so as a youth pastor, um, and so there was a lady that was speaking, and she was talking about this, uh, you know, these kids were down front, you know, and again, keep in mind what the subject matter would be if you're dealing with teenagers and that kind of thing. So these kids are down front, and they're worshiping God, and they were at the, at the altar, they were singing this old hymn. Some of you would rejoice, you're like, you know, really? And so it was, um, I Surrender All. How many of you have heard that song before? And so the lady's, uh, lady's name was uh, Rachel, and she's up there, and she said that, that kids are across the platform are singing, you know, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. But there was one young lady that, I think because of some encounters that she had, that it was almost like her, her song was this, you know, like, I surrender everything but my boyfriend. I surrender everything but my boyfriend, you know? And so, and I thought, you know, we, we get that, but I thought, man, how, how often is that a picture of my life? I, I surrender all but this. And that's the thing that he wants because it's, it's the place that gets in the way of him revealing fully who he is to me. And so, again, if you're taking notes, the second thing is this, is that surrender is releasing control. Uh, look at number three, and we'll close with this. Romans 12, verse 1. Romans is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Romans 12, verse 1, he said this, and he said, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give. Everybody say give. Yes. To give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So he said, for us to give our bodies to God after all he's done for us, a living and holy sacrifice. Now, in their culture, that meant something because they would do sacrifices and the sacrifice they would do would be of animals. And because those animals were dead, they weren't getting up and leaving. They were there until somebody moved them. But we're called to be a living and holy sacrifice, which means that I willingly lay my life down upon the altar of God's will. And the beauty of it is, is that, you know, if I, you know, I can get up and leave that place on my own, or I can daily make that commitment to like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm staying here. And he said, it's, it's a holy, and he said, a holy uh, sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice that he'll find acceptable. In other words, yes. And then it says this, this is truly the way to worship him. So that, that surrendering becomes worship because again, what it does is it says to him, it says to God, you're more important than this. I, I trust you with this. You matter more than this. That, that I don't belong to this, I belong to you. This doesn't dictate the direction my life goes, you do. It's an act of worship, it's, it's surrender, it's a declaration of who's most important in our world and in our life. 
It's a declaration of whose I am. It's a declaration of all those things. So it becomes this act of worship. And it's amazing, man, whenever we want to, you know, to experience, I want to have this, I'm hungry for a move of God. And, and it begins with, with the hunger that I have. And then it begins by seeking him. And then as he begins to deal with me and talk with me, I mean, I'm still his child. He still loves me. There's not anything I can do to, that makes him love me anymore. But as far as following him, that, that there are things that I'm, I'm hanging on to that he wants me to let go of. And, and there's things that he has for me that he wants me to move towards. And I'm hesitant to do that because you know, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what's connected to that, you know. And, and uh, you know, I'm having to leave this or say goodbye to this or let go of this or change this and, and head that direction because there's something that he has for me in that area. There's, there's a place out there that he wants to demonstrate his goodness to me even more. And all I have to do is trust him enough to let go of this and to view him as more important than this. And it becomes an act of worship in my life. And all of a sudden, he begins... I begin to see things in my world that he's created me for, and it creates such clarity for me that when I hang on to stuff, it may, may feel safe and secure and may even present like a false sense of peace. But man, my, my life just has so little purpose. I mean, it's hard to see everything that he has for me. It's hard to see everything that he's created me for, and it's not until I turn loose of that and trust him with it, and it becomes an act of worship because I'm declaring you matter more than this. I don't know where letting go of this will take me, but I trust you, and I want to go wherever you're taking me to, even if it means letting go of this. And so it's what he's called us to do, yeah. And so as we do that, as we begin to surrender those things in our life, and again, you know, it's, it's not always stuff. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's probably not stuff. You know, I could be in my job and just things not going well. And, you know, and I'm mistreated and I feel such a justification that, that I don't give them my all. Well, that's, that's not honest. We don't work for them. We work for him. And so as an act of worship, even when they don't deserve it as an act of worship, like I'm yours. Or we get wounded and so we hang on to unforgiveness. No, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to validate what they did. And we hang on to it. It becomes a weight to us. And we never experience freedom from what was done to us because we've made a decision to chain our life to it. And the Holy Spirit continues to deal with us and we eventually turn loose of it. And all of a sudden, the liberty that Jesus intended for us to have, we begin to experience because we're no longer holding on to the carcass of unforgiveness. We turn loose of it and we realize that we're his and that we belong to him. And so with that surrender, with that action, with that behavior, it's amazing what it does in our life that, that we have this thing that we do. So number three is this, is that surrender is worship. It's trust. It's a declaration of value. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Man, let's just spend a moment with God and, 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 and you know, as, as, he, as he speaks to you and as he deals with you and as the Holy Spirit just awakens God's purpose for your life and his plan for what he has for you and he begins to talk to you about that thing that, that just, it's going to require surrender, turning loose of control. I'm not in charge of this anymore. 
Maybe it's with your adult kids. Maybe they're just doing all sorts of dumb things right now, all sorts of stupid things, and, and you're still trying to parent them like they're 10. I get it. I get it, man. I mean, we never stop being their parents, right? It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how old they are. We never quit caring about them. But sometimes, man, I've operated in my life like they matter more to me than they do to God, and that's just not true. He loves them more than you do. And so we don't, I don't disengage from their life. But I begin to trust them with him. It's amazing what he does, how he begins to move and the, the things that begin to happen because I'm no longer in the way. My trying to intervene, my, and sometimes when I do that, not only is it not appreciated, man, it's resented. I should pray for them. What a powerful thing to call out your kids' names before the presence of God. To lift up their name into heaven. God, help them. Visit them. I want to see a move of life in their life, Lord. Sometimes the Spirit is like, okay, well, get out of the way. But those things that we turn loose of as the Spirit of God just deals with us. And that last thing, I didn't say that first service. I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking that to somebody directly today. Be encouraged about your kids. Trust God with them. Let's just spend a moment with God.